ready to explore the extraordinary world of tech. Welcome to the XTech Podcast, where we connect you with the sharpest minds and leading voices in the global tech community. Join us as we cut through the complexity to give you a clear picture of the ideas, innovations, and insight that are shaping our future. Hello, and welcome to the X Tech Podcast by Fox Agency. I'm your host, Debbie Forster, MBE. I'm the CEO at the Tech Talent Charter and an advocate and campaigner for diversity, inclusion, and innovation in the tech industry. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jamila Amima. She is the CEO and founder of Mind Senses Global. Jamila, it's lovely to have you here today. Debbie, lovely to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. So, so Jamila, one of the things that our community loves to hear is, is how a person gets into tech. Some go by a very straight route. They know from the very start that's what they want to do. Others, a more winding path. Tell me about yourself. How did you find yourself in tech? That's a great question, Debbie, because we all have different paths. So my journey started with mathematics. As a young child, I always loved mathematics. I uh, studied mathematics to the very advanced levels. Then uh, at the university, I studied operations research, which is applied mathematics to solve, you know, a real business problem. So I found myself, you know, studying optimization techniques and simulations and Monte Carlo, you know, methods and so on. And then went into, you know, doing more advanced studies uh, in my master degree where I started experimenting with fuzzy logic and neural networks and genetic algorithms. So this is really the start of AI because those techniques is what makes uh, AI today. And then I finished that with a PhD in AI and economics. Uh, that was back in the early 2000s. Back then, it wasn't very attractive to get a job in the, the tech industry or to get a job you know, in AI. So I started working in the energy sector. I worked for both uh, BP and Shell, had several roles, you know, commercial roles, business development roles. I worked in different divisions, you know, within the energy sector, worked in upstream, in downstream, in shipping and trading. I got the chance and the opportunity to apply, you know, those AI techniques and algorithms to solve problems. We wouldn't call it AI at that time, you know, inside those companies. We will just see it as another tool. So it was quite an obvious uh, option for me. So when I decided to leave the energy sector in 2018 and start my own business, it was a natural move for me to set up MindSenses Global, which is a boutique AI management consultancy. So my main priority is to help businesses and organizations apply AI. And the way we do it is through uh, education. I'm a great believer in educating people in the field of AI and making AI accessible to everyone. We also help with the AI strategy. Obviously, we have the tools, you know, to develop those AI platforms. But kind of my advice to whoever I speak to in this field is you should never start with AI. You know, you should start really with your business problem. I love the journey. So you were looking at AI from an academic perspective before it was a thing and before the business discovered it. And you've watched then since the noughties that go from something that felt like science fiction and, and something you read about that by something like Asimov to now that we're really in the heart of the, the hype curve, aren't we? You, you can't swing a cat without finding something about AI, which is frustrating for, I think, some people in the field because 
when is it AI, when is it just great um, algorithms, when is it good machine learning, etc. So let's go back to a basic standpoint, because not just explain to the audience, many of whom who may know it, but helping us understand a way to explain it to our wider business. What is and what isn't AI. Wow, that's a great question because obviously the because of the hype, everyone is claiming and defining AI the way you know that they see it. So my starting point, I really love the definition of John McCarthy. Actually, John McCarthy in 1956 was the first person who coined and, you know, basically used the term AI. And uh, so let me refer to his definition. So the way he defined AI, he said AI is the science and engineering of making intelligent machines. Obviously, you know, you know that like, you know, from the definition, it's a little bit vague. You know, you can have a lot of things, uh, you know, uh, in that. And that's the critical bit to understand is that AI is not one thing. It's a lot of things that comes under the umbrella of AI. So in AI, we will find mathematics. We will find statistics. We will find neuroscience. We will find psychology. We will find, you know, ethics and governance and you know so you have all those different fields that comes and make you know the you know what we call the area of ai ai means a lot of things to different people so for example uh, if you have a smartphone then you're probably using AI, whether you know it or not. For some other people, AI means the drone technologies because they're using, you know, kind of those sophisticated techniques, you know, to have those flying machines. So that's another piece of AI. For other people, AI is machine learning. So that's kind of the predictive ability. So this is the softwares that predict things you know for for the business this is also ai uh, it's also computer vision uh, but it's also pictures so if you ever come across uh, what we call a fake picture so this is really a you know not a real picture so it's ai who created that picture so that also is is ai basically it's a lot of things my rule of thumb you know whenever kind of okay so how can we help people identify what is ai and what it isn't my crucial rule is there a learning process happening in whatever application or methods. So if the machine or the algorithm or the application is learning, and what I mean by that, it's not like the way we human learn because the machine do not understand and we need to keep that in mind. But like the learning in the sense that... Um, we are using past historical iteration or past historical data to make the next prediction better. And then once the machine gets the next prediction better, then again, we, we are using that input to make then the next one better. So there is an iterative process what we call learning process for the machine to make things better and better, better in terms of the accuracy, better in terms of the quality of the output and so on. So if there is a learning, then it's probably AI. If there is no learning and we are not using any past historical uh, iteration to make the future iteration better, then it's not AI. And I think that's a very simple rule that at least you can rule out what is not AI. And you know, it's, it's really caught on in the last few months even further in that hype curve on generative AI, you know, chat GBT. So the, the gold rush is on. We have a bunch of wild-eyed businesses running around wanting AI, not really sure what it is, how it is, how they're going to put it to use. Let's come back 
if you're working with a company and particularly you're advising the techie people within that company, what should they be thinking about? Let's, let's pretend we've managed to educate our business owners to understand what AI is. Before we dive in and start looking at how we're going to use AI within our company, what should we be thinking about? I think, of, uh, as I mentioned, the starting point shouldn't be AI, so it should be business. So kind of we should, you know, whether it's the business people or the techie people. And by the way, there are like two school of thoughts. There are like a, a one school of thought that think that like the techie or what they call the IT people should sit out, you know, in a separate division from the business people. There is another school that I belong to and specifically about the AI people. I really think that the AI and the data scientist people should sit in the business. They shouldn't sit in what, you know, traditionally called, uh, you know, uh, IT services. So why? Because we really need to understand the business environment, the business context of that uh, particular organization. We need to find kind of in which area we are going to apply AI. We need to understand that AI can help in a lot of areas. There are like hundreds of ways you can use AI for your business. So you can use AI to reduce your costs. You can use AI to uh, increase your margins. You can use AI to reduce your risk. You can use AI to improve your customer experience or, you know, customer services. So you need to understand as a business, having a, a solid business strategy, what are your aspirations, what you would like to achieve from a business perspective, or... Uh, another way to say it, as a business, do you have currently issues that you need to sort out so you can grow in the future? So you have to identify, I am going to use AI to improve my margins or to reduce my costs. You have to prioritize. You cannot just kind of like try everything at once because probably you will probably fail the first time. You will have to, you know, think about kind of which area should I start with? What kind of pilot projects should I put together? And along the journey, I'm going to connect those pilot projects. So then, you know, little by little, step by step, I'm going to build that AI talent capability that as an organization I need. Uh, so that's one thing is, do I have the talent as a question? The other one, which is really, really obvious is, do I have the data? Because like, you know, everyone knows that AI thrives in data. <laughs> you know, obviously not all of, all of the AI techniques, but some of the techniques, especially when we talk about deep learning, you need like, you know, tens of thousands of data, you know, to make those kind of uh, techniques work. So do I have the data in size, but also in quality, do we have the right quality of the data? Because again, regarding AI as a tool is, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Do we have the right data to feed my AI models? So those are the things that, you know, we should be thinking about at the beginning. And, and in addition to that, maybe we can go in more details later on is, you know, the other principle around, you know, how do I, uh, you know, develop and design and implement an ethical and biased AI model? So let's talk about that. So, so let me make sure that I've captured. I've got to get to the mindset where I have the, the, the knowledge, the talent, the capability within the team to be able to create great AI. In doing so, we have to change our mindset. If we know how to use it well, it is just another tool, okay? And so that is, we're not 
I don't buy a hammer and run around saying, now somebody find me something to hit. We know how to use our hammer and our saw and, a, and our screwdriver and know when to use it. So we'll imagine then we have identified that problem. The data, we, we hear that again. I think a gold thread we have going through all of our podcasts, and we get through all of tech these days, mm. is about data. And I, I don't think we can emphasize enough because we hear where there is bad AI on the basis of bad data, poor yeah. data. And this finding the cheapest way to scrape as much data is just the way if you want to scrape what's on the side of the road, I wouldn't serve it for dinner. So this is very much that garbage in, garbage out. But let's then say, because I do think companies are beginning to get their head around this, but the ethics piece. So it's not just what can we do. It's understand what we mustn't do or what we should be wary of. Talk me through yeah. that a bit. The ethics and the bias, because they go together, you know, most of the time. Um, so if we use, I think that it's better explained through a concrete example. I think the best example will be, you know, if you are a company in the recruitment space, so let's say let's say I have a recruitment agency and I want to use AI, you know, to uh, you know recruit and improve my uh, uh, my business. So I need to understand. Okay, so as a business context, what is the context of recruitment? So has recruitment changed over the years? Is the recruitment and the data profile of people of today similar to the 1940s or the 1940s or, you know, 100 years ago? And the question is no, because back in the 1920s or 30s, if I take the example of a doctor, we will probably find like male doctors compared to female doctors which is completely different nowadays. Nowadays, you find both, you know, uh, alike. Uh, similar, you know, for technical jobs, you know, an engineering role back in the 1920s will probably be a man rather than a woman, or a nurse role will be a woman rather than a man. Shamila, I think, I think you're very kind. We'd probably say the same thing about the 1980s. Yes, yeah. but okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're being kind yes. to recent years, but yes. So, and, and I couldn't agree more because it is, I think we have to go in when we're looking at developing things, actually go looking for the bias in our data, is it? Look to where there may be problems and issues. We've seen the big scary ones, like you say with recruitment, looking at, you know, identification around ethnicity, when we're looking at crime data, et cetera. You have to really with that strong ethical eye, go in ex testing for it, really digging in to see where those biases are going to um, be surfacing and then how can we build through that and how we can build the learning to start cleaning out that data or find yourself the cleanest data you can. But it is still that very important going in, not starry-eyed, just push the button. We, if we design it, it will be there. But looking through, is there anything else around that bias piece that we should be aware of? Yes, yeah, so I think the most important bit is to understand your data. You cannot get data and then plug it into whatever tool. You have first to understand it. If you can't understand it, then there is no point in you know building the the AI model. You have to understand uh, the characteristic of data, what kind of insights you may get from the data, whether there is a potential a source of bias. You know, for example, in the example of recruitment, we know you know if I take the you know fifty year ago you know data, we know that there the will be bias. So I need to do something. I cannot just like ignore that. I don't have to do something about it. But it doesn't have to be 
historical. So, for example, even like the uh, the companies who build, uh, you know, a software recognition to recognize people. So, if you build a platform to recognize people, so that's people around all the planet. But then on the training, you train only on white male, uh, you know, uh, pictures of my white male. Then it is a problem because it's only going to recognize the, you know, based on what they have been trained on. So you need to think about kind of is the data I'm getting uh, is having any bias and is the way I'm going to train the data is going to have uh, a bias. And it's interesting also what you said about being able to understand our AI. Explainable AI is becoming a very powerful concept and one that isn't just for good tech, but, you know, consumers, governments are beginning to ask for it. Talk to me about your thoughts around explainable AI. Absolutely. And um, I think, obviously, if you are a business and you operate in a highly, you know, compliant, uh, you know, uh, sector, for example, like, for, you know, financial services or healthcare, you really need to understand, you know what the the algorithms are doing so uh you know if i apply for a bank loan and the bank you know decline my loan i have the right to go to the bank and claim okay explain to me why you have declined my application and if you are a bank who has been reckless and applied ai without understanding those methods and how your your model is deriving those results then you will be in a lot of problems and issues because suddenly you cannot explain to me why you refuse to Jamila, you know, her loan. So the way banks are addressing this is through what we call mitigation uh, processes. So obviously explainable uh, AI is one big item. I just need to clarify to the audience because a lot of people who talks about explainable AI and that AI is a black box. And I wanted to clarify this. AI is a black box only if you use the most sophisticated type of algorithm within AI. So, and we are mainly talking about like deep learning. But if you use the less sophisticated of machine learning techniques, especially under the supervised, you know, family, without, you know, going in too much, uh, you know, techy details, those techniques are pretty much explainable. So even the explainability issue, it doesn't all, you know, it's not really applicable to the whole of AI. It's really deep learning and some uh, niche, you know, uh, methods and techniques. But obviously, explainability is very important. So as a business owner who owns that, you know, model, you need to understand you know, go step by step, kind of how this model is generating, you know, the, uh, you know, the output, what kind of correlation uh, is making between this variable and this variable. We know some of the correlation will be right. Some of the correlation wouldn't be true. You know, for example, there have been a lot of studies that like linked, for example, ice cream with the, the rate of a divorce. We know that divorce has nothing to do with ice cream, but there is still a correlation be- between them. So you need to understand, you know, is the correlation you know, a right one or just like, you know, uh, a, a dummy one. Another thing that the banks are doing, it's more than explainable AI. So in addition to explaining what, you know, the, they currently have, they're having mitigation techniques. So they're having another model that runs alongside the AI one. So, and they are they are monitoring the AI one and there, there are like some alerts in the system. So once an alert is being made, so kind of something dodgy has been detected, then 
the secondary, you know, model will take will, will take over, and then kind of like the AI model will be shut for that period until uh, it gets fixed. So they're having other models that run in parallel, you know, as a mitigation. They're having signals, alerts to tell them when uh, things starts kind of deviating from uh, the way the the model was supposed to work. So they're trying to find mitigations, uh, you know, also in that sense. And I, but I think that's a key learning for us to take to if we're in sectors that are not as compliance driven as financial services. Because I think, you know, if we understand, as another of my podcast guests had talked about, that millennials are now middle aged and therefore key consumers in the market, we are getting a more and more tech savvy client partner user base out there that having and wanting to understand that if this is good AI driving your product or service. So adopting that mitigation mindset of how are we running things alongside to mitigate where things go wrong. I'd like to throw a question to you, though. Let's talk to some of our, our deeper techies in the audience. When we go into deep learning in relation to AI, is that sense of black box and therefore unexplainable AI inevitable or is that lazy thinking? What do we need to be thinking about in that spectrum when we start talking about deep learning in relation to AI? Yeah, it's not lazy thinking. So obviously there is an issue around kind of like deep learning. Obviously it depends kind of how you set up the deep learning method. And obviously the bigger it is, the more difficult is going to explain it. So we all heard of those models that use like a hundred billions of parameters and, you know, kind of like thousands of layers. In these kind of things, it is very, very difficult, you know, to mitigate. But then there are like things around that where, you know, you can then, uh, you know, split. So if you have like a big business problem or like a business model, you split it into, you know, different pieces. Yeah. And you put like some protocols or some kind of like, you know, communications between kind of the different, you know, uh, compartments within that. So, for example, if then one thing goes wrong in one thing, you would know that like it's it's uh, the wrong bit is happening in there and not, and not in there. So one thing is kind of to break down that complexity into smaller, you know, containable uh, problems, uh, which makes sense. Another one is obviously, you know, uh, do the kind of the semi-supervised one. So you have a deep learning, but then you have like kind of like semi-supervised. So there is a human interaction that goes into kind of like the model and try to do that verification and, you know, kind of like a, a modification, you know, judging, you know, how things are being done. So there are like techniques, you know, you can do, but um, the principle behind them is to make the complex less complex. So break down the complexity into smaller, uh, smaller uh, pots. So then it's manageable. So, you know, we could talk AI for days. Yeah. But what I like to do is to, to let guests come outside just their own tower, ivory tower, keeping you in one lane. Let's look to the future. Jamila, when you look at what is coming up on the horizon about anything within tech, what worries or annoys you the most? Top one in my agenda in terms of, you know, concerns and worries and uh, we touch a little bit on is, you know, the ethics and the bias. You know, I think for us in the AI community to make really, uh, you know, a good step forward, like a good, you know, advancement in this area, we cannot shy away from the ethics and the, the bias area. You know, we need to find ways 
on how to tackle this. So that's one thing. The second one is obviously the AI hype. It's not helping because whenever there is a launch, you know, for example, you know, the chat GPT, and I'm not, you know, uh, dismissing, you know, the capabilities of that or how good it is, but kind of like the way kind of some companies are just in a hurry to launch things and they're not really giving attention uh, about, you know, the consequences of that because, you know, we really need, you know, to fix, you know, some of those issues if we really want to to advance uh, in this area. And we've watched this, haven't we, for every hype curve that's yeah. come through of everybody jumping in, realizing it is not magic yeah. and then coming back to solving real business problems in that way. Well, on a positive note, is there anything that's coming up at the horizon that you're excited about or you feel really positive about? Yeah, so there are a lot of things. So one of them is, uh, you know, symbolic AI. So I'm looking for ways. My, my thing that really excites me in this area is, you know, we need to make breakthroughs in terms of to make the current AI better you know, for the future. And if we see what is currently lacking from AI, AI is lacking, you know, understanding and reasoning. It doesn't understand and it doesn't reason. You know, the way I explain to people is the example of uh, malaria and fever. So saying AI can find the correlation between malaria and fever, but AI would not understand that it is malaria that is causing the, the, the fever. So the causal effect, the causal reasoning is me missing, uh, you know, uh, from AI. So I'm really look forward in any kind of breakthroughs or, you know, any kind of like step stone in that direction. How can we build a, a, a another type of AI that can have some reasoning capacity that can has, you know, some causal uh, you know, reasoning skills. And a symbolic AI could be one of them. So it's not the, the answer, but the answer is we have to be open. I think a lot of people in AI, or maybe not, not let's not exaggerate, maybe not a lot of people, but there are like some people who AI who are kind of close-minded you know, in their own piece of research. So we see even though, um, you know, even the techniques, you know, we talk about deep learning, we talk about the different machine learning, you know, techniques. Most of the theory behind those techniques goes back to the 1940s, the 1950s. So along those days, even though we made breakthroughs in AI in terms of application and computer power, the theory behind it hasn't really moved a lot. So we need to find ways to move the theory, the mathematical theory behind AI to, you know, uh, a new, new area. And the way we do it is by opening our minds to other fields. So let's not only focus, I know that deep learning is a big, you know, kind of attractive area, but deep learning is not going to solve the causal reasoning, you know, for the future. So I want the AI community to open their mind and look at kind of uh, other fields. Okay, so that's a shout out, isn't it, right, to the community. Instead of just jumping on the hype and jumping in where everybody else is going, there are exciting new branches of thinking of AI that could offer the next big breakthrough, not just the next big thing, but the big breakthrough. But it's going to take not just looking at application, but going back to those sort of theoretical basics to, to get a different position for us to move forward. Absolutely. And the key is to look into other fields and into other areas that we haven't looked at and bring in all this together. That will be the key. Okay. So there's a, there you have it, everyone. Your great open spaces. If you feel like you're coming into tech and doing things and all the great things have been done, 
there's your call to action to think about those new areas. Take the next breakthrough so Jamila will be able to talk about you and your way in that you break it into that causal area to, to take the next big step. Listen, thank you, Jamila, thank you so much for doing this. It, um, it's been great for you to hear what you've done, your journey, and to get a sense of where AI could go. I really appreciate you coming in today. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thanks for the invitation. And it was a pleasure, you know, to talk to you about this uh, interesting topic. Thank you for listening. If you're a tech innovator and would like to appear as a guest on the show, email us now at xtech at fox.agency. And finally, thank you to the team of experts at Fox Agency who make this podcast happen. I'm Debbie Forster, and you've been listening to the X-Tech Podcast. Keep exploring the world of tech. Subscribe to our podcast and never miss an episode. To discover more opportunities for global B2B tech brands, visit fox.agency today.